Isn't it wonderful to be able to come here and to worship God on a Sunday, to sing praises to His name? Amen. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I love being here. I love being with you all. I'm so excited because uh, tonight we're gonna we're gonna talk about something that you know. I mean, I think this is the contrast that defines men and women. Um, but some time ago, my wife and I, I don't know what we were doing. We were moving boxes somewhere, and uh, of course, at the time she's pregnant, so she can't lift very much. And so my automatic reaction is, I've got it. I've got it. And I picked up this box, and it was like a, it was a, like my old desk that I had in my, in my office at my house. And I picked up this box, and I'm carrying it on my shoulder, and she turns over to me, and she says, do you need help? And I said, no, I've got it. No, I, I've, I've got it. I've got what's going on here. And the, here, here's the difference. And, um, you know, she's watching in the other room, um, but she'll say this is true. Um, I'm the type of person, and maybe you are too, that when I'm doing something, usually I've got it. And if you're the other type of person, the other type of person is, like my wife is, can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? And, and here's the difference between the two that, we, that we, we see, right? The people who say I've got it usually are pretty stubborn people. I know I'm a stubborn person. I know there's stubborn people in this room. I know there's stubborn people in the world. But stubbornness is, is, that, is the result. You know, so women are more likely to say, can you help me with this? Can you, can you grab this for me? Can you pick this up? And guys are usually like, hey, I've got it. I've, I've got I've got this. This isn't, this isn't a problem. And we do this with a lot of things, too. With other things, we say, um, well, I can fix that. I can solve that problem. And that's usually our result, our, our, you know, our ploy. I can fix it. I can fix it. I can fix it. You know, I heard a story one time. Um, a guy went on YouTube, and he was looking at fix some complicated part on his car, and he went on YouTube, <laughs> and he found out how to fix it, and he goes to start fixing the car, and then he gets in there and he goes, I can't do it. I can't fix that. I can't solve that problem. I can't fix that. Here's the difference between these two types of people. The people who say, can you help me, are the people who understand that sometimes there are problems that, are, that they can't solve on their own. And usually the people who say, I've got it, or the stubborn people who say, look, I'll handle it myself, and if it gets really, really bad, if it gets really bad, I'll just, get, I'll just ask for help. And what they, realize is, what they don't realize is that not all problems can be solved. Some problems are just too big for us to handle on our own. They're just too big. And we don't often think this way. We say this a lot, right? We say, well, I, I, I can handle most things. But there are a lot of things, you know, like I couldn't lift a 450-pound boulder. I just can't do that. I'd have to probably have some help, right? But I wouldn't ask for help until I, fig until I figured out if there's a way I could do it myself. And that's often how we think. We think, well, I can get this. I got this. I've got this. We don't often ask for help. But there comes a point when we start to realize that, I can't do this on my own. I can't solve this problem. I'm stubborn, and so therefore I'm going to try to do it myself, right? Here's another example. When uh, I was younger, I, I mean, and I, I don't know about you, but I don't like to go to the doctor. I, I don't. 
going to the dentist. And so if I am having some type of problem, usually I just sit on it till it fixes itself. Right? That, that's my mentality. Well, it'll, it'll heal itself. Or it'll fix it out. And I'm so stubborn when it comes to that stuff because I don't, like, I don't like somebody to help me with my problems. I don't like somebody to help me with my difficulties. And so I put it off and I put it off and I put it off until it gets as bad as it can be. And then I go, okay, I'll go. And that's usually our mentality. That's usually the way we think. But we don't often think of this. We don't often think that there are problems that are too big for us to solve. And so the last six weeks or so, we've been in the book of Romans. And last week, we looked at Romans chapter 6 and we watched this this. Paul unveiled this beautiful, beautiful passage reminding these Christians in Rome of what, of what they had done and, and where their identity was placed in Jesus. And he marked that all the way back into chapter 5 with the Garden of Eden. And he explains to us the problem and the difficulty of, of sin in the lives of people, of sin in humanity. And he tells us that, that through Jesus, we can now have a relationship with the Father. And so in chapter 6, Chapter 6 is what we really see as the ideal, right? The ideal is that you're, about, you're immersed into Jesus Christ, you find your identity in Jesus, you ch- choose to serve Jesus, and then we run into this chapter 7. We run into the problem, right? And the problem is sin. The problem with humanity, the problem that all men have that no man can solve, is sin. And that's the problem. And then in chapter 8, we have the solution. We have the solution to this problem, to this difficulty. And, and Cliff's going to talk about that next week, and I won't get too much into it. But we have these different passages that talk about these different things. So Paul is really g- going in uniform here. He's saying, here's the ideal, here's the problem, here's the solution. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit at the end tonight. So tonight we're going to talk about the problem. We're going to talk about Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 25. And what you need to know about Romans Romans chapter 7, it is that it is one big illustration. It's Paul, Paul starts. He starts in the beginning of the book, chapter 7 and verse 1. He gives them an illustration of, of, of how a woman is, when her husband is alive, she is bound by her husband. But if he dies, then she's no longer bound to that man. I think that's something that, that we can all look at the Bible and agree with. If, if the if husband and wife are married and the, and the man dies, then the wife has the right to, to move on. And so he gives this illustration to try to help them understand this point or this problem. And in Romans chapter 7, he says, you're, you're to die to the law. So here he goes. Romans chapter 7 and verse 4. He says, therefore. Anytime there's a therefore, you've got to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore. Okay? So therefore, he's talking about what he just talked about in Romans chapter 7 and in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 where he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the, but the gift of God is eternal life. Right? But, so here he goes. He goes, therefore, my brethren, you are also made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to, to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. So Paul's giving an illustration. He's like, look, you're, you're made to die to the law. Okay, you understand that the law is no longer. And he's just been talking about that. Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5. He's saying, look, your identity and your, your place is in Christ Jesus. And you've got to understand. If you don't understand it, understand it by the natural law of marriage that God instituted from the beginning of time. He says, you're made to die to the law. The law, the law is just a guide. It's not there to, to, to give you salvation. It, it's there to guide you. And so in chapter 7 and verse 6, he says the same thing thereabouts. He says, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. 
Right? Going back to the illustration in chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. So that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. He says, if you put on Christ, you don't serve the law. You don't serve the Old Testament. You're not under law. There is no rules and regulations, but you are under the law of God. You are under the law of Christ, which is grace and mercy and peace. And an opportunity to have a relationship with your Father through Jesus. And so law, you know, in the Old Testament, there was physical punishment for law. And so that's why he's saying, well, you're released from the law, right? Because, well, okay, if so-and-so goes over there and he murders an individual, well, Guess what's going to happen? Under the old law, well, they're going to kill him. Or if somebody commits adultery, or if somebody does one of these sins that God says you shall not do, there is a consequence, a physical consequence, and a physical punishment for that sin. There is nothing like that in Christ. And he says you've got to understand that, that we serve not in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the Spirit. And that goes back to Romans chapter 6. In verse, uh, in verse right in the, in the middle there, six, five, six, seven. Uh, And he talks about this idea uh, that we were made to walk in newness of life. And then he gets deeper into this idea in chapter 8. So in chapter, in in verse 7, he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? No, the law is not sin. The law was there as a guider. That's what Paul says in Romans. He says that the the law was a guide. It was a tutor. It It was bringing us to light so that we could understand what sin was. And, And God labeled the sins He did to protect you from yourself and others. To protect, to protect you from hurting someone else and others. That's why you tell your kids, don't do this, don't do that, because you don't want them to hurt themselves. You don't want them to do something bad that's going to have a consequence. And that's what God does. God says, don't do this. This hurts you. This hurts others. This hurts me. God doesn't want to do that. But that's the problem that all men have that no man can solve problem that all men have that no man can solve. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Well, isn't it good to have knowledge about something? Well, I have this knowledge and this is not what God wants me to do, so I'm not going to do it. Well, let's get into this a little more. So, he starts with this illustration about the law and marriage and divorce and remarriage and marriage and death and all these things to try to help us understand what he's going to talk about next. And this is Paul. Paul is going to talk about his personal struggle with sin. But in this part, he really comes down to show you this is what the law has done for me. This is what the law has done for me. And it's a three-part illustration. It's, okay, here's what it really means. If you don't understand it, here's an illustration of what the law had done for me and what you can understand by that law. And then he says, therefore, that which is good, that which is good, become a cause of death for me. May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. He's saying, look, you've got to understand this concept. It is a guide. The law is a guide. We are not under law. We are not under commandments. We're not under all these different things. We follow concepts. We follow ideas. We follow principles. We look at Jesus and we look at how He lived and we look at how the early Christians lived and we try to mimic that. But there is no law for Christianity because no man could complete the perfect sin. And this is where Jesus comes in. 
Because up until the time that Jesus had come, no man had perfected the law. And once Jesus perfected the law, it was wiped away. It was wiped away. It was gone. Paul says, I'm not righteous under the law. I'm righteous in Jesus. And so, we're going to talk about just this specific text tonight. We're going to talk about 21 through 25. And then we're going to, kind of, we're going to apply it from a different standpoint. He says, I find then the principle that is evil is present the principle that evil is present in me and the one who wants to do good. So Paul here, he starts in chapter, in chapter uh, in, in verse 14, and he starts talking about this personal struggle that he has with sin. And, and it's, it's almost like a, ah, don't you get this? Don't you understand this principle of sin? Because you're a man, you have to understand what a struggle sin is for individuals. I mean, you've got to understand what a, struggle is for, what a struggle sin is for you. What a struggle sin is for me. What a struggle sin is for all people. That's why we're in the position we're in. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. Because of sin. Because, and through that, we have lost track of our heritage. We've lost track of where we really came from. And it creates problems within the world. And Jesus offers an answer. He offers an answer to our problem. He does. He says, your true identity is in Jesus. It's about having a relationship with the Father. It's about having a relationship with God. It's about, it's about growing closer to Him, not keeping what He tells you all to keep, but building a relationship. And through that relationship, you understand His role and you understand your role and you understand who you must obey. And so Paul really gets down to this. He says, this is my personal struggle with sin. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. My flesh. He's going to talk about the two. He's going to start talking about the two conflicting natures of humanity. Because not only was was man created from the dust of the ground, but man was also given a living soul. Man was animated. Man was created to be something that was designed in the image of God. And we go back to that and we find who we are. He says, "Present in me, the one who wants to do good. I want to do good things. Don't you want to do good things? Don't you want to be a good person? Don't you not want to sin?" Verse 22, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Man, that is powerful. He says, in my mind. All right, this is where we got to get to. He says, in my mind. Verse 23. But I see a different law in the members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. He's talking about the contrast between your flesh and your inner man. Your inner man wants to serve God, but your flesh is just so strong. Your, your desires and your lusts are so strong that you can't, you can't handle it. And it's almost like you can't help yourself. And you have to convince yourself in your mind that, that look, look, I am in control over me. I am in control over what I do. I, listen to this, I have been a part of Every bad decision I have ever made. You realize that? I'm the, I'm the one that's put myself in this place. I'm the, I'm the one that's been in this circumstance to where I have to come to know Jesus. And to where I have to accept what He's offered for me. But my mind does wage war with my flesh. My mind says, I, I want to do what God tells me to do. I want to live what God wants me to do. But man, that human desire is so strong. And it pulls me in different directions. And I don't feel like I have control over myself. But here's the thing. We're not perfect. 
And that's okay. We're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. We can only strive to live as Jesus wants us to live. As God wants us to live. He says, the law of God and, my, and the law of sin are fighting each other. I, I concur with the law of God. I, I rejoice in the law of God. I find myself wanting to do the law of God, but the members of my body is completely different. What my flesh wants to do is completely different from what my mind is doing. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? He's come to this conclusion that there is no way I am ever going to make it on my own. This problem of sin is way too big for me to handle. And I just can't take it. I'm too sinful. I'm too prideful. I lust. I desire. I do the things that I don't want to do. And I know I'm sinning against God. But man, who can do this? Who can save me from this body of death? You know, it's not what, it's who. And we're going to ask this question. 725. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. I fight at wars, at wages. So we need to ask this question in a minute. But we need to understand this principle. Some problems are too big for us to handle on our own. They're just too big. You can't do it by myself. You can't do it by yourself. You need somebody to help you with this problem that you have. The problem that all men have that no man can solve. So we ask this question. Who can help us deal with our sin problem? Can anybody guess who can help us deal with our sin problem? Who can help us deal with this controversy that we have? This divide within our minds? This divide within our flesh? Who can help us? Jesus! That's right! So here's typically, typically, typically how we deal with, with, with problems. Any problem. If you want to go, you want to talk about fixing a car, you want to talk about, you know, fixing whatever. You want to talk about building something. This is the way we usually, di- we usually deal with problems. First, we, we try to get a diagnosis, right? Then, you know, we try to learn something about it, and then we have a resolution as to how we're going to solve this problem. But these are the questions typically that we ask. We say, what's the problem? What's the problem? We want to diagnose it. We want to get in the ins and outs. We want to figure out, well, how does this work so I can, so I can pick and pull and prod and, and find the parts and put the pieces in the right place so that I can fix the, whatever problem I'm having. And this is just human nature. Human diagnosis. Self-diagnosis. I can fix this problem on my own. I've got it. I've got it. I can do it myself. I can diagnose. I can fix this sin problem I have. I can fix this problem I have with pornography. I can fix this problem I, I have with lusting after women. I can, fig, I, can, I can fix this problems that I have. I can fix the problem with my, with, my, with my drug addiction or my drunkenness. I can fix this problem by myself. I can do it. That's what we think. We say, what's, what's the problem? I want to diagnose it so I can figure out how to do it. And then we have knowledge. We have this type of knowledge. Well, if, right, if, if I, once I know better, I'll do better. Right? Once, I, once I know it, once I get it, I, I, I'll do better. Right? I, I, if I know something, right? But here's the difficulty in this. You know better and you still sin. I know better and I still sin. I know better and I still do wrong. You know better and you still do wrong. 
this principle doesn't work. We self-diagnose. We say, well, if I just had a little bit of knowledge about it, if I just had a little bit of information, well, maybe I could, I could fix it with my diagnosis. I mean, I, mean, I need to know the, the intricacies of this problem so that I can, that I can really fix it. Then we have resolutions. We say, I'll do better next time. Or, or we do this, you know, like we do at the beginning of every year, we set New Year's resolutions. We say, hey, this, in 2019, I'm going to lose 75 pounds. And then you get three months in and it doesn't work. We have a resolution. We try to fix the problem. Well, I'll do better next time. Well, the next year when it comes around, you do the same thing. You set a resolution. Well, I'm not going to do this as much. I'm going to fix this problem. Or I'm going to have this problem. You know what the problem is? You. You. We try to self-diagnose and we try to, we, we try to have this knowledge and we try to pull these things together. I'll do better next time. Once I know better, I'll do better. Um, what's the problem? How can I fix it? And, and, and we miss the whole concept of being in Jesus. We miss the whole concept of being a child of God. Because it's not about us fixing ourselves. It's about allowing God to guide us in the direction that we need to go in order that we might be like Him. Isn't that what we're all striving for? Is it, are we all striving to be like Jesus? Are we all striving to, to do better? Right? Isn't that the theme? Excel. We want to do better. We want to, we, want to, we want to try to work on things that we've maybe had problems with in the past and maybe that we haven't dealt with. And maybe that, that, that these issues, we try to do these things. Well, we're going to diagnose it, right? Well, I've got this problem. That's what we do when we go to the doctor. You know, we, we try to get a diagnosis so we can fix the problem. Right? And, then, and then we try to learn stuff about it. Right? We go on WebMD and we find all the symptoms and you know try to learn something about whatever it is that the doctor told us. Well, what's this problem? What's this issue? I want to figure out you know, what the doctor's going to do or what the next play is or what the next move is. We try, to sell, we, we try to learn knowledge. And then we find a resolution. Well, if this doctor doesn't do what I think you should do, then I'm going to go to the next doctor and I'm going to do this and this and this. And we have all these different types of self-inflicted wounds. When in reality, the specialists, the experts, they can fix it. But you've got to allow them. You can't say, well, you know, I've got it. I've got it. I'll fix it. It'll heal itself on its own. You know, my wife has been hassling me for, for years now. I, I have tore hip flexor when I was in, when I was in high school. And it's, whenever it gets cold, it acts up. That's why sometimes you see me limping like this, you know, walking. And it's because, you know, I tore something, and I'm too stubborn to go get it fixed. This I had a minor problem. It'll fix itself. It'll be fine. All right? But I need, really what I need to do is go to the doctor and get it fixed. Because then I, that would solve my problem. An expert. Somebody who knows what they're doing. Just like when we have a sin problem. We've got to go to Jesus. Do we not? We do. We can't self-diagnose. We can't have self-knowledge and say, well, I'm going to fix this sin problem. It just doesn't work. There are some problems that are just too big for us to handle. And we've got to realize that. And this is where this comes into play. This is where humility comes into play. To be willing to lower yourself and say, hey, I don't got it. Can you help me? Can you help me solve this problem? Can you help me solve this issue? That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, I am like every other man. I am nobody special. I have got a problem just like you because I'm human. And the only man to ever walk the face of the earth and live sinless was Jesus. So then this is what he says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. This is the final conclusion of this chapter. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes back. He reverts back to Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. 
And he says, we don't abuse grace. We're in Jesus. Our identity is found in Jesus. Our heritage is in Jesus. Who we are is in Jesus. Jesus forgives our sins. Jesus helps us live right. Jesus does a lot for us. God does a lot for us. He provides for us. He gives us all these things. And if you're in Jesus, there's no condemnation for you. Unless you're living a life of sin. Unless you're doing what the Jews are doing, you're abusing grace. You're abusing what God has made abundant. Then it's a problem. Then it's an issue. So, that's what I'm going to leave you with tonight. I want you to think about this. And I want you to think about this idea that there are some problems that are just too big. And every single man, woman in this room has the same problem that every single man and woman has in this room. They have sin. And it's a problem that they cannot solve. But it's a problem that Jesus can fix. So if you're here tonight and you need prayer, let, come forward and, and let us pray with you. Let us help you in, in some way. If you have a sin that you're dealing with that's not, that's not, that you know isn't right and you've been struggling with it, well, guess what? Everybody else in here has been struggling with a sin too. Talk to somebody. Tell somebody what you're dealing with. James says it's a good practice to confess your sins to one another. Oh man, but that's too personal. Do it. Find somebody you're comfortable with. Find somebody you know. And tell them what you're dealing with. Because it'll help you grow as a Christian. It'll help you have accountability. It'll help you move past whatever it is. That's why we have brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if we're trying to live a life with Jesus. Because some problems are just too big for us to handle. They're just too big. Too difficult. Why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing?